Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. Did you know that Jesus was a singer? We read in Matthew 26, verse 30, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Matthew 26 is the scene of the Last Supper that Jesus has with his disciples. And we hear how he's singing with his disciples a song right before they head out to the place where he knew he was to be betrayed. So what was the last hymn that Jesus sang with his disciples before going to the cross? It was most likely Psalm 118, the last of the Hallel songs that the Jews sang at Passover. It begins the way it ends, verses 1 and 29, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So let me ask you, when you're facing a difficult trial, maybe you've lost your job, or you're facing a great loss, perhaps a loved one is dying, or maybe you yourself are facing death, are you able in those moments to sing thanks to God for his goodness, how his love endures forever? Jesus, who is fully man like us, is facing the worst event that has and ever will happen to any human being in history. And as the last sands tick through the hourglass of his life, this is what he sings. Psalm 118 is full of joy. Though the joy erupts out of serious distress, the song speaks of being hard-pressed, verse 5, being surrounded on every side, verse 11, being swarmed by enemies like bees, verse 12, being pushed back and about to fall, verse 13, being rejected by the builders, tossed out like a stone on the rubble heap, verse 23. How is it that under such extreme stress, facing such dire circumstances, the confession of Psalm 118 is verse 6, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What do you mean, I will not be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Wicked people can do awful things, horrific things with zero concern to how it impacts a living soul. But Psalm 18, friend, reminds us, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans, verse 8. Do you believe that? Really believe that? Are we able to say that so long as we have the Lord with us, the whole world could turn on us and we would still give thanks to God? Maybe not. But Psalm 8, 118 says that this is the goal of our faith, to rest entirely in the one who created us, sustains us, and who has promised that everything we will ever face is for our good and for his glory. In fact, if the Lord is with us, it is impossible for us to lose even in the face of certain loss. That is why Psalm 118 will go on to proclaim shouts of joy as though the victory has already happened. I tried to imagine hearing Jesus sing verses 17 and 18 as the countdown for the cross begins. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Notice there that Jesus recognizes that the affliction in his life, including the cross, it comes from the Lord's hands. God may bring us horrific sorrow and pain because he is sovereign. But even if we do die, God will not give us over to death. And we know that because he sent his own son to the cross and he raised him from the dead. So two thoughts for us today on Psalm 118. First, 
We can give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His love endures forever, even in the face of loss. God has never promised that He would keep us from trial and affliction. What He has promised is that He will bring us through the trials, even death itself, and in the resurrection glory of the world to come. Rejection, distress, pain, discipline, even severe death. If you're taking refuge in the Lord, take heart, my friend. Every bad thing is for our good, because God is using it to press us into the mold of His own Son. A second thought. Our nation is as divided as it has ever been, well, since the Civil War at least. Now I hope you're praying for our nation. Let me ask you, as you see the divisions, are you able to give thanks in the midst of it? Do you know that Abraham Lincoln called for citizens to begin to observe Thanksgiving in the wake of Gettysburg, the bloodiest battle in the Civil War? Lincoln called for a day of national thanks for God's goodness at a time of deep distress and division. Because Lincoln was trusting the Lord would be the help of this nation and grant us victory, even in this most divided time. My friend, let us do the same. Remember who you are and who you belong to. If you were to attend a wedding this summer, officiated by the Church of England, did you know that following the line, With this ring I thee wed, you would then hear the bride and groom say, With my body, thee I worship. It's a glorious commitment to worship your spouse with the whole of your being. Now this isn't worship in the sense that the other person is God, but it is a public expression of the supreme value of the one they are now to adore for their lifetime. Let that idea help us lean into Psalm 113, which sets forth the who and why of worship. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church, and today Psalm 113 calls us to be praisers. And praise is natural. Part of being human is about praising what we enjoy. We are all praisers. Whether it's that awesome new movie we can't wait to tell our friends about, the wonderful dish mom made that caused our mouths to drool, the home run that our favorite baseball player hit in the ninth inning, or the good joke that needs someone for us to share it with. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation, as C.S. Lewis once said. And Psalm 113 is a call to praise the Lord. Who are we to offer praise to forevermore? The Lord. Every day, from sunrise to sunset, who are we to praise? The name of the Lord. And who is the Lord we are to worship? Well, he is the one exalted over all peoples and all things, exalted on his throne above all. 
Something that might surprise us is that God is not seated in the heavens. The Lord is so exalted, he has to stoop down to look down on the heavens. <laughs> so how much more us here on earth? Now, as we try to wrap our minds around this, we start to get the why of worshiping the Lord. The Lord makes no bones about his supreme authority over all creation. Even our son obeys him without any backtalk, rising and setting each day at his command. But the why hits closer to home, my friends, in verses 7 to 9. The Lord looks down on humanity, billions who are like specks of dust in this vast cosmos, and there are none too small to escape his gaze. Would you have ever imagined that the one who exists outside time and space, who reigns supreme, would be like this? Taking notice of the poor and the needy and making it his mission to raise them up to sit in exalted places? Psalm 113 corrects the feeling that we may have that the Lord is a blind watchmaker who fashioned this cosmos, set it spinning, and now stands off at a distance, unconcerned about what happens in his creation. Psalm 113 is a call to tell your feelings to pause momentarily so you can get in praise mode, so that you can, by faith, catch sight of the Lord as he truly is. You see, God Almighty is having a heart which bends affectionately towards you, my friend, whose great finger reaches down to lift our chins when we're disappointed, who cares about your distress, your anxiety, your fears, your helplessness in this broken world, and he is at work right now, friends, working all things out, all things for your good and for his glory. My friend, Psalm 113 tells you that you are made to glorify and enjoy the Lord forever. That is your purpose. That's what gives you meaning. And the Lord gave us Psalm 113 to reveal who he is. So we'll see why we should praise. He bends down to love the loveless, to father the fatherless, deals dignity to the depraved, who sees the paltry and the pint-sized as precious in his sight. And he has revealed himself supremely in this in sending his own son to save us. And how did he do that? Through a childless woman named Mary, who became a happy mother. Jesus left the riches of heaven to be conceived in the womb of the poor Hebrew virgin. And Jesus grew up and lived among the least, the little, and the lost. And God's love was revealed supremely in the Son who stooped down in order to raise up all who would believe in Him, who would commit their lives to worship the One worthy of all their worship. Derek Kidner says, well, worship is the loving homage of the committed to the revealed. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. We come today to the first of a little group of psalms specially given for travelers. We're all on a journey, aren't we? We have a destination. So for their, those on their way to the promised land, God has provided us with a travel guide. And our travel guide begins with Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you? And what more besides you, deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom brush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, 
they are for war. Friends, Psalm 120 is the first of a group of psalms that runs all the way to Psalm 134 that are all entitled the Psalms of Ascent. Why are they called the Psalms of Ascent? Well, the Jewish people would sing these psalms as they made their way up to Jerusalem and to Mount Zion on those special holidays or better, holy days each year. Now, many of them would come from great distances. That's what we find here in Psalm 120. This poor pilgrim feels far from God, which is why he begins by calling out to the Lord in his distress. He notes he's presently located in two places, Meshach and Kedar. Now, the point is less about a particular location than it is about his feeling distant from God, far from God. Why do you say that, Joel? Well, first, because these two locations are in opposite directions from Jerusalem. You could not physically be in these two dis distant locations at the same time. And the second reason I say this is because this very first verse was quoted by one who also felt as far from God as one could be. Verse 1 is what Jonah cried out when he was in the belly of the whale after he ran from God. I don't think it's possible to feel further from God than being in the darkness of a whale belly at the bottom of the sea after rejecting God. Perhaps you understand this distance, or you felt it. I experienced some sense of it myself. I don't always feel the glorious experience of God's presence in my life. Not because I don't want to. Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes I'll just wake up and I feel far from God. So Joel, what do we do? Well, the first thing we do is seek the Lord and ask for Him to save us, to call out for Him in our distress. Remember, God promises to reward those who diligently seek Him, Hebrews 11:6. We begin our journey back by crying out to God and asking Him to save us. The second thing we need to do is examine our hearts to see if the reason for the distance lies with us. Why might you be in Meshach or Kedar, these places of lying lips and deceitful tongues? It's a battleground, a war of words. Well, we've all been assaulted by evil words. We live in a time where we can be blitzed daily by just a cacophony of words. It's hard to escape. And maybe we've joined the battle. And what happens when you're on the battlefield is you lose sight of the journey. Many travelers lose their way and drift because they forget their destination. I've talked to many who drifted away from church because of divisive politics and the pandemic. Is that you, friend? Maybe that during COVID you stopped going to church and you had a plan to return, but you wake up on a Sunday morning and while you still have a longing, you're just kind of in a rut you haven't been able to escape. Or maybe it's been much, much longer since you last went to that one place where you know you can meet with Jesus in the gathering of the people of God. Not that the church is the destination any more than the promised land was the reality, but the church is where you get your travel rations for the journey. I think we have help here in Psalm 120 because instead of engaging in the battle or choosing self-defense, this traveler examines his situation, calls out for God to save, trusts he will deal with all those lying lips. <laughs> he leaves it with God. This is how the journey back to God begins. So we seek, we examine, and then thirdly, we look to the one who entered onto the battlefield of humanity who was slandered with evil accusations and lies, even though he was for peace. And when he spoke those words of life and peace, well, they were for war and they slaughtered him. 
Of course, I speak of our Lord Jesus, the pioneer of our faith who ran the race, endured the cross, where he experienced the greatest distance from God anyone ever has. But he did it for the joy set before him, and he is now seated in glory at God's right hand. Look to him. So what was that joy? It was seeing you at the end of your journey when you arrive in glory to be with him forever. So look to Jesus and remember his words as you start the journey home. Your Lord Jesus says, My peace I leave with you. John 16:33. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. On Tuesday, we looked at Psalm 117, the shortest psalm in the Bible, two verses. Today, we come to the longest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119, 176 verses. It has 22 stanzas that are eight verses each, and they're the A to Z of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, if you're familiar with Psalm 119, what comes to your mind? Your first thought might be, Joel, I hope you're not going to try and speed read it in five minutes. (laughs) Don't worry, friend, I won't. If you're familiar with it, your first thoughts might be that it is really repetitive. I actually thought that myself until I read an article from David Pallison where he asked what I thought were the most repeated words in Psalm 119. I thought, well, law, command, word, statute. Pallison says that these words would be a close second. But what are the most repeated words are the first and second person pronouns. I, me, you, yours. We need to see Psalm 119 as a conversation with God. Paulson writes, Psalm 119 is the most extensive I-to-you conversation in the Bible. After verse 3, for the next 172 straight verses, we hear what a man says out loud in God's presence. His joyous pleasure, vocal need, open adoration, blunt requests, candid assertions, deep struggles, fiercely good intentions. It's an outcry of faith. And the first three verses set up this conversation, which are in the third person. Listen. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. These first three verses set forth the sort of person we are supposed to be. God made us in his image to reflect himself on earth by blameless lives, to live out and love all his commands while seeking him with our entire beating. This is what it looks like to be blessed. So friend, how are you doing at that? This is what leads the writer of Psalm 119 to cry out in verse 5, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Psalm 119 is the heart cry of a man fully persuaded that God's ways are the best ways to live. He's worthy of our complete commitment. That's the blessed life. And he wants to know what's happening that keeps him from being what he wants to be and who he needs to be. So the psalmist begins to explore that in honest conversation with God. He begins by affirming his love and commitment. Verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. He pleads for God to help him. Verse 34, Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Now as you move further into the conversation, a revelation of why he is failing is unearthed. There's a terrible danger 
that lies within. Verse 36 and 37. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. He recognizes that there is something wicked inside him, in his own heart, leading him away from his God. That's not all that's leading him away. Verse 69 and 70. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. There is a terrible danger outside him as well, an evil world that seeks to destroy. And facing outer and inner pressures by the conversation's middle, the suffering psalmist is bottoming out. Listen to him in the verses in the 80s. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. They almost wipe me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Do you hear him? He's saying, God, take the wheel because I'm doing all I can to stay on the path, but I'm about to crash. And then the psalm seems to leave the pit as the psalmist begins an upward climb for the rest of the psalm. As he begins asking for help, he begins to proclaim the coming end of wickedness, and he begins to reaffirm God's goodness and his absolute commitment. Listen to verses 164 and 165. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. As you draw near the finish line of this longest of the Psalms, you begin to think, wow, this guy has got it. He is arriving at the blessing he was seeking at the beginning. What progress he has made, this super saint. And then you read the last verse, verse 176. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. I guess he has not arrived. And friend, if you're listening to this, neither have you. So don't stop talking to God. And if you need help, God has given you 176 words to talk honestly with him. As Paulson notes, Psalm 119 is the thoughtful outcry that rises when real life meets real God. Remember who you are and who you belong to. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. There are many songs that have made the Billboard Top 100 what one would you guess to be the shortest? Elvis Presley's Teddy Bear at 1 minute 46 seconds? Well, it actually topped the chart for seven weeks, but that's not it. Nat King Cole's posthumous release Deck the Halls was 1 minute and 6 seconds, but that's not the shortest either. Actually, for 52 years, the 62-second song Little Boxes by a band called The Women Folk held the record. It has been broken a number of times since 2016. And presently, rapper Kid Cudi holds the title with Beautiful Trip, which lasts only 37 seconds. So, what is the winner for shortest song in God's Top 150 hymn book? The answer? Psalm 117, which is only two verses long and 17 Hebrew words. Let me say, big things sometimes call them in small packages. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. 
praise the Lord. Derek Kidner writes, This tiny psalm is great in faith and its reach is enormous. It is a psalm that confirms that Almighty God wants all nations to worship Him. Nowhere in the Bible does the God of Israel say He is fine with differing nations having differing faiths. And Psalm 117 confirms that God's plan has always been for all the nations to worship Him. Back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 12, God called a pagan out of the land of Ur, Abraham, and He said, I will be your God, and your people will be my people. And He gave Abraham a promise that he would be a blessing to the nations. And Abraham's descendants, Israel, they inherited this promise. They were to be a royal priesthood, declaring to the world God's great love and his forever faithfulness. And think about it, love and faithfulness are kind of like two sides of the same coin. God is forever faithful because God loves his people. And the greatness of God's love is why he can be forever committed. But for nearly 2,000 years, Israel did a poor job of spreading the good news so the nations could worship. Until our Lord Jesus came to do and be all that Israel failed to do and be, well, the gospel did not go very far. But Jesus actually began the work of taking the gospel to the nations around Israel. And then he poured out his Holy Spirit on the disciples and commissioned them to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what he commanded, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And that is what happened. The gospel went gangbusters within the next hundred years, and it has not stopped. If you're a non-Jewish Christian, you ought to give thanks to God for his promise to Abraham. Here I am, I'm a believer in the wilds of Indiana on the other side of the world because people responded to Psalm 117. The apostle Paul actually quotes Psalm 117 in Romans 15, as he's seeking to convince early believers that the grace of Jesus and the promises of Abraham are for everyone. That God wanted Gentiles, that's all people who are not ethnically Jewish. He wanted all Gentiles to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. So friends, Psalm 117 is a really big deal. It's the reason why you're no longer in darkness if you're a Christian. You've been brought into God's family, made an heir of Abraham, because it was always God's plan for folks like us to belong to Him. Friend, you are not an afterthought, a plan B. God wanted you to discover His grace and to become His beloved child. So praise the Lord today. Secondly, the good news is not simply to land on us and go no farther. We're not to bottle up this grace for ourselves. Psalm 117 tells us that we are to bring the good news to others. Others who do not know that God loves them greatly and he's committed to them. This should be a regular discipline for us, inviting people to hear the good news. Do you have neighbors, friends, or family who do not know the gospel? Well, you have a mission field. And also, there are thousands of unreached people groups out there, people who have never heard the good news in their own language. So we have the privilege to support missionaries knowing that they cannot fail because God's plan will come to pass. As John Piper said, missions exist because worship of God doesn't. One day, mission will end, but worship never will. So let this shortest of all the Psalms fuel you to do both until that day when all will be glory. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. Friend, do you ever feel like a stranger in a foreign land? 
And Psalm 114 is the psalm for you. It begins, When Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Psalm 114 invites us into this experience of Israel leaving Egypt. The people of God were in a foreign land, experiencing isolation. And you get this. You ever visited a place where everyone speaks a language different than you? You can be surrounded by lots of people, but if no one speaks your language, you feel like you're all alone. And if you're a believer, this is how it feels at times living in this world. Our unbelieving culture is not interested in the things of God, living holy lives. They talk language that we don't get and don't want to learn, which leads us to feel like we don't belong here. But that, my friends, that is why God created the church, where you will find folks who speak your own language. And by that I mean, you're all speaking of the mighty deeds of God and praising Him and encouraging each other. Notice that Psalm 114 actually says, Judah became God's sanctuary. Hmm. Joel, how does a people become God's sanctuary, God's dwelling place? Actually, we find that out in Acts 2, when God poured out His Spirit on His people, and suddenly you have people praising God together even as they're speaking different languages. They're all filled with the same Holy Spirit as man became the dwelling place of God. You ever sit down to someone you don't know, maybe on a plane or on a bus, and you find out they're a Christian, and it's like you've known them your whole life. That is because you have the same spirit, and you also have the same destination. You're being led out of this world. You're on your way to the promised land. And that is what is described next. Verse 3. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains leaped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it, sea, that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like rams, you hills like lambs? I happen to be a lifelong White Sox fan, and the other day I was loving it when the Yankees fans were trash-talking our shortstop, Tim Anderson, who had had a few dust-ups with some Yankee players previous to this. And Tim came up to the plate during a close game and knocked it out of the park ending the game and Tim put his finger to his lips to tell the fans to stop talking it was his turn to trash talk it was clear that it was game over that's what's going on here the people of God are trash talking at the sea they remember the Red Sea got scared and fled when the people of God arrived they remember the mighty Jordan River turning back so that God's people could pass right through they remember Mount Sinai trembling at their arrival so they begin trash-talking to all these mighty forces of nature. And Psalm 114 tells us as Christians, well, we should run the bases of our lives with confidence and swagger. You see, my friend, as a Christian, you are the most powerful person on the planet. What do you mean, Joel? Friends, you have Almighty God, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. God is with us as we walk through life. That means, though you may be weak and unimpressive, you are mighty in Him and should be brave, not in and of yourself, of course, but because God is with you. You can face the storms of life, the hostility of this world, because of who God is, which is how Psalm 114 concludes. Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. This is such a comforting passage. I hope you get it. The earth, the mountains, the sea trembles because of the presence of the Almighty. 
and we ought to tremble at the thought of the Almighty's presence in our midst as well. But at the same time, God's presence in our lives is what makes us secure in an otherwise scary world. The God who is with us is the same God who provided his people water from the rock in the desert. God is powerful, but he bends the forces of nature and directs it to serve us during our pilgrimage here. Rejoice, my friend, in the power of God as he deploys it for our good and for his glory. And maybe today you need to do a little trash talking about how great your God is to stoke those faith embers to flame. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. Yesterday we looked at Psalm 111, which is an acrostic psalm. An acrostic means that each line of the psalm begins with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We describe Psalm 111 as an A to Z comprehensive summary of God's work in the world. Well, Psalm 112 is its partner, as it too is an acrostic, but its focus is a summary of the person who walks with God. So if Psalm 111 is about God's work, Psalm 112 is about godliness at work in the believer. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Friends, Psalm 112 begins by promising blessings to those who fear the Lord and delight in His commands. And fear the Lord being the beginning of wisdom was actually how its partner, Psalm 111, ended. So let's explore. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, I think here it means that you're more concerned with what God thinks about you than anyone else. And you're blessed when you do that, because that is truly a freeing thing. When your mind is not ruled by the opinions and thoughts of others, you can focus on doing what is pleasing to God, which is always good. This actually brings strength to the family, according to Psalm 112. It leads to prosperity, generosity, freely lending, just living, a good name. I really love this psalm because it reminds me to train myself to trust entirely in the Lord. And what a great reminder this is when we witness so many things that fail us, so many things that seem to fall apart. There really is much to be anxious about in this world at large if you don't trust the Lord. Last week, we saw the biggest stock market tumble in almost 100 years. Russia continues to threaten international stability with its relentless attack on Ukraine. COVID continues to plague our world. Hate crimes and mass shootings are a weekly event. Huh. 
And then talk about the home front, family members with health issues, personal struggles, things out of my control. I know each day I'm prone to put my trust in having success in my work or in having people like me. And there are days when victories and likability, they're hard to come by. We live in a bad news world. How many times have you found yourself saying, wow, didn't see that coming? If our hearts are placing hope in our reputations, our safety, our bank accounts, anything other than God, we're going to find ourselves regularly wrecked by the inevitability of bad news. But bad news does not shake those who fear the Lord and place their daily hope squarely in Him. Remember verses 7 and 8? They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. Isn't this a wonderful thing? The godly make it a daily routine to ground themselves in who they are and who they belong to. And when your worth is found in the God who treasures you, what others think matters not. When your security is found in the God who will never leave you or forsake you, you're not going to fear the dangers that may and will come. When you remember that what God has done in Christ, you will be able to face the uncertainty of living in a world of shifting sand and do it with a smile. Because of verse 4, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. Those who are united to the risen sun know that the radiant life we long for is not found here in this age. We're actually in a world of darkness. But by grace, we have been made into children of light. And by faith, we see the risen Christ, who has conquered our great enemies, sin, death, and the devil, at the cross and at the tomb. So we can shine, living godly lights as, lives as those called out of darkness, proclaiming to a dying world God's work, trusting each day, we're one day closer to when the trumpet will blow, Christ will return, and the light will then shine forever, and the news will only be good forever. My friends, remember who you are and who you belong to.